Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. And now, dear Father, give us an uncommon strength, not as the world gives, but as you alone give. May we submit ourselves to your word with joy and anticipation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our psalm this morning, I'm actually going to end at verse 11 rather than 13 as it's been published, but um, it's a psalm that is based on an acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet. So it's it's following the letters of Hebrew, of the Hebrew alphabet. And this happens more than once. 139th Psalm is the longest psalm. And it's likewise an acrostic. But, and so it becomes sort of a string of pearls, one after another. It's a little, a little um, proverb with each one. And yet this psalm repeats a recurrent theme and that is trusting in God. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from the 37th Psalm and then from Matthew 5. Fret not yourself because of the wicked, be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good so that you will dwell in the land and enjoy security. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your vindication as the light and your right as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over him who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger, forsake wrath, fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the wicked shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall possess the land. Yet a little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look well at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the earth and delight themselves in abundant prosperity. And then our Lord from his Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. This is one of those beatitudes that I've always had trouble with. You know, the, the people that I've known that I would call meek are sort of shrinking violets. They're sort of the shy guy in the corner. Um, and, and this one never, never made much sense to me. But somehow, I'm nevertheless sort of captured by this. This, this contrast of meekness and, and strength. 
It's sort of like something that captures our imagination before our reason can, can dismiss it. Where, where we're given a story, we're given an account, we're told something, and it captures our imagination. And, and yet it takes a while for us to sort of explain it away, set it aside as, as just a myth. I was finishing up a summer at summer camp up in Northern California, and um, one of the guys on the work crew that I was working with said to me, scientists looking into the skies, looking into the heavens, have seen the new Jerusalem out there in heaven descending to the earth. And I thought, oh really? And I, I tried to find any accounts to this. I tried to find something to, to explain this, to describe what was going on. And so my reason, after a while, dismissed it as silliness. But it, it captured me, nevertheless. My imagination got, got captured by that image. And we don't know if it's true. <laughs> I, 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 I kind of doubt it, but I mean, it, it is such that we get, we find ourselves in those times when something captures our imagination and, and yet reason doesn't seem to appropriate it. But nevertheless, we hold those two in some tension. We hold them in a, a dynamic tension where they're kind of talking every now and then back and forth with each other. And, you know, I, we, we live in a time where there's been a lot of apocalyptic speculations. And the latest has come out just this past week because Putin says he's going to recruit 300,000 reservists to fight in Ukraine. And Newsweek reports that there's a, there's a portion of this that has been excluded or hidden in which he says he's going to recruit a million, a million to fight in Ukraine. Well, the, apocalypse, the apocalyptic speculation rushes to the ninth chapter of Revelation where it says there'll be a two million man army that will descend at the battle of Armageddon. And so, again, we, our imagination gets captured. And, and then we can't muster enough reason to dismiss it, but we wonder, we doubt it. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Well, how does that work? If we've been to those leadership seminars and sales seminars and all of that, what we, what we sort of have learned is that it's not the meek that inherit the earth, it's the strong. Those who fight for their position, those who, who, if necessary, elbow others out of the way, or at least those who work really hard and achieve a lot, they're the ones that inherit the earth. Not the meek. Or is it the meek? What is it we're really talking about? Oftentimes, meekness is associated with 
that image that I've been talking about. Meekness has been associated with a, a humility, a, a, oh, oh don't, I'm not important enough, I'm not this, I'm not that. Someone who would recede from everything and anything. And, and yet that's kind of the, the understanding of meekness that, that is not being spoken of here because Jesus is spoken of as meek. Moses was spoken of as meek. And in this psalm, the meek will inherit the earth, and in the beatitude, that's doubled down by Jesus. So what what really are we talking about? Wild stallions were brought down from the mountains and broken for riding. This is in the Greek world. And if you were in the ancient world, you knew horses. And you knew what was a good horse, what was an old horse, what was a wild horse, what was a tame horse. Wild horses were brought down for riding. Some were used to pull wagons, some were raced, and the best were trained for warfare. They retained their fierce spirit, courage, and power, but were disciplined to respond to the slightest nudge or pressure of the rider's leg. They could gallop into battle at 35 miles per hour and come to a sliding stop at a word. They were not frightened by arrows, spears, or torches. They were said to be praus, meek. That strong horse full of spirit and yet obedient was meek. Strength under control. Strength and spirit and drive and courage and yet responsive to its rider. To be meek was to be taken from a state of wild rebellion and made completely loyal to and dependent upon one's master. Meek, to be dependent upon one's master, and yet to have all that strength, to have all that drive, to have all that capability, to have all that even rebelliousness, but to have it under control. It's a different understanding of meek. I had a professor in seminary who shared that concept, and all of a sudden that whole world opened up to me. And what it means, of course, is that, is that strength under control entails a courage and a, a drive as well as a responsiveness, a sensitivity to know what is the right thing. What, is, what does it mean to do the right thing? And so our Lord has, has given us this instruction that that those who are meek are those who are strong, courageous, brave, and yet sensitive, responsive, and obedient. You know, when I was a kid, we used to sing Trust and Obey. I don't know if you remember that from Sunday school. 
Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And, and yet I got to be sophisticated theologically, and I thought, you know, that, that's not all that true. <laughs> because we live by grace, not by obedience. But, you know, I think I was, um, I was a far better theologian at 28 years old than I am now. <laughs> and and I, I've come to a place where Yes, there's something to this, that to trust God and obey God, that there's some, this is the, the way of real happiness in life. And we could use, we could use more of it, this, this strength and gentleness. You know, in Revelation, there's this grand pronouncement of the lion in Ju- of Judah, describing the lion who is, is coming to, to make everything right. And the announcement is concluded about the lion of Judah and that which is presented is the lamb that was slain. What was anticipated is the lion who was going to come in and rock and sock and do all of this stuff and clean everything out. And yet what is presented to us by by John in Revelation is the, is the lamb who was slain and who bears on his body the marks of crucifixion. And so we have there a picture of meekness, strength, and yet at the same time this willingness to, to set oneself aside for the sake of that which is right and that which is true and that, was cor- that which is correct and to be a disciplined self-discipline so that we operate within those confines. So meekness. And one of the great examples from the Christian church, from the history of the church, was in the second century. Polycarp was the bishop of Smyrna, and he actually was one of the disciples of the apostle John. John, who wrote Revelation, and sent his letter into Asia Minor. Smyrna was one of the churches that received the letter from Paul, which is the book, pardon me, from John, which is the book of Revelation. And he became a, as a young man, became a follower of John in his advanced years. John is one of the few disciples that we know of that did not die, that we know of, uh, a martyr's death. And yet Polycarp took on the leadership of the church in the Asian province of of Smyrna. But the Roman Empire was not happy with the church because the church was saying Christ is Lord and the Roman Empire was insisting that Caesar was Lord and and the Christians just couldn't go along with that. And Polycarp was reinforcing that in his church. And so an edict went out that he was to be arrested and executed. Polycarp was 86 years old, and he found out that this was happening, and he wasn't going to do anything. He didn't leave his home or anything like that until his family just said, no, get out of here. And so he finally, under pressure from them, went out to a little, farm, a little farmhouse outside of town. And the Roman soldiers found out that he was there and they went to his home, to this little farmhouse. 
And when they arrived, he greeted them with a smile, had them come in, he fed them, and he said, let me just have one more hour of prayer. And he went and receded to pray. And he ended up praying for two hours. And in the meantime, these young soldiers, who were probably the age of his grandkids, began to wonder what they were doing if, if they were on a fool's errand. Polycarp came out, and, and they took him to the arena. And there he faced the man who was in charge of everything and was going to oversee the execution. And, and he was questioned by the proconsul. And he was asking pro, uh, uh, Polycarp who he was and what he was doing. And Polycarp responded, he says, since you pretend not to know who I am and what I am, hear me declare with boldness, I am a Christian. And if you wish to learn more about Christianity, I would be happy to make an appointment for you. And then he was put out in the middle of the arena. And the people were yelling, away with the atheists, away with the atheists. The atheists were those who were the Christians. Polycarp smiled and looked at them all and said, away with the atheists. Away with the atheists. And then the proconsul said to him, all you have to do is deny your faith. Deny Christ and you will live. Polycarp simply said, 80 and six years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I deny my king who has saved me? And they took him to the post to which he was to be nailed. And he said, save your nails. Save those that would make you feel secure. I will stand and bear the fire myself. And they lit the fire. And he was consumed. And he died. Now what does real strength look like? Does strength look like the sort of power that everyone seems to be wrangling over these days? The amassing of larger armies? the building up of greater armories? Is strength a matter of a position that one holds? Or is strength a matter of who one is? And their relationship to God. It's not even strength in self, it's strength in God who deploys our strength according to his will. Nero was the Caesar at the time. Pardon me, Domitian. 
I probably have my Caesars wrong here. <laughs> this was in the first century now. But if I were to choose who, was go- who I was going to be ri- like, like the Caesar of Rome, in charge of the largest empire on the planet at that time, or this little bishop in this little county of Smyrna. Where is real strength? And so Jesus tells us, blessed are the meek. They will inherit the earth. They will embody what it means to be a follower of God and carry within their own souls and spirits the strength and the dignity and the sensitivity of Christ himself. Will you join me in prayer? And so, Lord, like those who went before us, the martyrs who sang at their martyrdoms, Polycarp, who who smiled at his accusers, for the saints who have stood on your behalf. Lord God, may we be numbered among them. And the earth that we might inherit might be that which you have set aside for us according to your will. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.